0: Whether you're a cannabis enthusiast or skeptic, you've likely noticed the current craze over all things CBD and cannabis, from oils to lotions to gummies, for things like pain management and stress relief. But could CBD help your mental wellness?
1: For this week's episode, we called on Registered Dietitian Nutritionist and Certified Holistic Cannabis Practitioner, Emily Kyle. She breaks down when and how to use CBD and even helps us navigate how to purchase a
0: high quality CBD product i am super excited to introduce our guest emily kyle she is a registered dietitian who is a cannabis educator And I met Emily almost a year ago now. Um, We were, gosh, it seems like a lot longer. This was right before COVID hit. We were both um, speaking at a live event at the State of Alabama Dietetic Association Conference. And Emily was speaking on CBD from a nutrition perspective and from a health perspective and it's something I'd been intrigued with, but a lot of the science is so complicated. And I was, I really loved how she simplified it. And I've gone to her, some of her resources again, several times over the past year to understand things better. So she was, when Briarly and I decided we wanted to touch on CBD in regards to mental wellness Emily was the first person that jumped in my head. So she's a New York-based registered dietitian. Can you tell people a little bit about yourself and your practice and maybe even how you, I'm assuming you didn't start out as a cannabis educator coming out of school, but um, how you got into this?
2: Yeah, so I am also a registered dietitian nutritionist, so I've always had a big interest in nutrition and food, and that really starts with plants that grow from the ground. And for a long time, I've been a cannabis consumer, but most of my career I spent hiding that fact. Um, And then recently, within the last two years, we've seen such a big cultural shift in how people feel about cannabis. So I just dipped my toe in the water talking about CBD, and I found that people were so super Super interested, but really lacking any type of scientific or really evidence based recommendation. So I decided to go back to school. I did a certificate program through the Holistic Cannabis Practitioner Program in order to get that foundational scientific knowledge that I needed in order to be able to have these types of discussions and really understand the plant and how it works within our bodies. So, CBD, I always tell people, is really just like the tip of the iceberg when we're talking about cannabis. Now, The word hemp and marijuana, those terms are not botanical terms and they're not medical terms. They're actually government-defined terms. So according to the government, a cannabis plant is considered hemp if it contains less than 0.3% THC, and it's considered marijuana if it contains more than 0.3% THC. But the government's only looking at THC, tetrahydrocannabinol, which is, again, just one of very many different cannabinoids within the cannabis plant.
0: So they're the same plant. It's just hemp has less than 0.3% THC. Correct. And marijuana has more than 0.3% THC.
2: Correct. So for example, if I grew a cannabis plant in my backyard, and if I sent it for lab testing, okay. if it contained less than zero per- THC, the government is going to consider it hemp. If I lab test it, if it grows long enough, it will eventually increase its THC yields. And so if I sent that in lab testing, and if it had more than 0.3% THC, it would be classified as marijuana. But it's the same plant. It's all cannabis.
0: And just to be clear, THC is the cannabinoid that most people associate with marijuana. Yes. The high from marijuana. Yes. Yeah,
2: so THC is that psychoactive component, whereas CBD is that non-psychoactive component. And most of our other cannabinoids are non-psychoactive, which is why the government likes to focus on THC the most, because that's the one that produces the most mind-altering effects.
1: So in theory, Emily, could you, if we were to really pretend that you could go to like a a garden shop mm-hmm. or a nursery or whatever, and you, you would say you wanted to buy... A marijuana plant versus a hemp plant like they are technically two different varieties yeah so
2: you'd want to talk about so for example I'm a licensed New York State hemp farmer here in New York State so if I wanted to pick out seeds or seedlings for my garden next year I would go and I would pick a genetic variety that has been produced to only produce up to 0.3 percent THC now the actual environmental growing conditions will dictate whether or not that plant does produce more THC or not. But the original plant genetics are going to give me a more favorable CBD dominant plant. And so, for example, last year I grew the variety was just called sour space candy. Now, if I was looking for a high THC producing plant, in theory, if there was a nursery I could go to, I would let them know I'm looking for something that produces high amounts of THC, and they would give me a variety or a strain that they have that's been specifically genetically bred to produce more THC.
1: That helps. So if we bring it back to your tomato example, right? Basically, it would be, it would be like me going and saying, okay, I want to grow Cherokee purples, yes. and I want to grow cherry tomatoes those are two different varieties of tomatoes right
2: with two different outcomes
1: got it all right
2: but they're all tomatoes i'm so glad you (laughs) broke
1: it down for me thank you you're
2: welcome
0: we've got the we've got the okay so you've got hemp and marijuana and so is cbd what comes from hemp Correct.
2: So C B D can come from hemp and C B D can also come from other plants. Even if they produce high amounts of THC, they could also produce high amounts of C B D as well. So cannabis in and of itself produces C B D. So when a consumer is
1: going to buy C B D oil, mm-hmm. um, or, or whatever, just C B D in whatever form it is that they want to purchase it, are they is it typically coming from the hemp plant?
2: Most likely, yes. Yeah. So right now with our current federal legal legal standing, um, federally it's up to zero point three percent THC and it's much easier to get those small amounts of THC from a hemp dominant plant.
1: So we definitely wanna as during this interview, we wanna talk about, you know, how to buy C B D and how to take it, et cetera, et cetera. But first, can we back up? Um, and can we talk about the connection between CBD and mental health?
2: Definitely. There's uh, a lot of really great preclinical evidence that I'll talk about, but kind of as a grand overview and why cannabis works for mental ish- mental health issues is all due to our endocannabinoid system. So just like we all have a digestive system and a cardiovascular system, we all have what is known as an endocannabinoid system that affects just about every cell in our body. The endocannabinoid system is made up of different cannabinoid receptors within the body. So we have two main receptors. We have the CB1 receptors, which are present on our brains and central nervous systems. And then we have CB2 receptors, which are present in our immune cells. And so going back to those individual different cannabinoids, those interact with our endocannabinoid system. So THC does something different, CBD does something different, but that's why we actually are seeing results is because that CBD is interacting with our own endocannabinoid system and helping both mental and physical ailments.
1: So we have receptors for CBD in both our brain and in our immune system.
2: Correct. And not just specific for CBD, specific for all of those many, many different cannabinoids that we have. And then our bodies, our own endocannabinoid system produce our own endogenous cannabinoids so our bodies make them ourselves they they're similar to CBD and THC but our bodies produce them and that's called we have one that's called anandamide which is also known as the bliss molecule and we have another one called 2AG and so when we consume cannabinoids they interact together and help our bodies produce optimal amounts of endocannabinoids back
0: when i was in school I never saw the endocannabinoid endocannab- cannab- system in my anatomy and physiology no. textbook. I know this can't be new, but is this is it just more widely accepted now? And where does this system fit in? Is it part of the nervous system or the immune
2: system? Or yeah, so interesting enough, the endocannabinoid system affects all other systems. So our endocannabinoid system affects our immune system, our digestive system. It it touches just about every system in our bodies. Um, Scientifically speaking, it is a relatively new discovery. It's about 30 years old. They discovered it in 1989. And so in terms of what we know in science, it's pretty new. Um, And unfortunately, we don't see it a lot. We don't see it in medical school. I didn't see it in dietitian school. But with this renewed interest. And as we see legalization pushing forward throughout this country, I definitely think that we're going to start seeing a lot more medical programs incorporating this into their education.
0: That's interesting that you don't see it in schooling yet, um, even presently, because you do see, I mean, just preparing for this interview, we were looking at um, research studies, um, even from the National Institutes of Health, that talk about this system. So that's interesting that it hasn't even worked its way into curriculum yet.
1: Let alone the fact that I was at the gas station last night and I could purchase CBD if I wanted to. (laughs) I mean, it's like it's just available everywhere. And, and you know, again, we'll talk. We want to hear from you, Emily, about purchasing it. But, um, I mean, it's so ubiquitous right now in terms of access that it's shocking to me that it's not something that we're learning more about that health professionals aren't learning about
2: it. So our whole system is so backwards. And I mean, thankfully it is being driven by consumer demand. Consumers are more interested in cannabis than ever before, but unfortunately with our current legal system, anything more than 0.3% THC remains illegal, federally illegal. So that rules out all ability for universities to study cannabis legally. Um, We just really have a huge gap in knowledge in terms of scientific studies. So we really need to be very, very hopeful for federal legalization so that we can really start to get the scientific evidence we need to really support so much of the anecdotal evidence that's already out there. That's so
0: interesting. Okay, so we've got this endocannabinoid system. I don't think I'm saying that right, but y'all know what I mean. Um, Okay, and we have these receptors. How does this impact mental wellness
2: did a little research in for, for mental wellness and i'm really going to focus on cbd for anxiety disorders because that's where we have our strongest preclinical evidence for cbd and that's what i find most of my clients or people coming to me are looking for C- cbd for is to help with anxiety so we have strong evidence right now for generalized anxiety disorder panic disorder, social anxiety disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, and post-traumatic stress disorder. And so what we're finding is that when people are taking CBD, they are reporting significantly decreased cognitive impairment, um, speech performance, discomfort with our social anxiety disorder. And so the one thing I always like to preface though is Just because our preclinical evidence supports it being helpful, it doesn't mean it's helpful for everybody. Um, I'm sure as you are very, very well aware, mental health care is so highly individualized and subjective to each and every person. And then when you put in the unique variables for our own endocannabinoid systems and physiology, we find that people really have a wide variety of reactions and experiences with CBD. So it does work for a lot of people, but I do want to say it doesn't work for everybody.
1: Emily, can you tell listeners what uh, preclinical evidence is?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So that's just going to be the studies that have been done currently that are not our gold standard, double-blind placebo-controlled studies, but just the studies that we do have available to reference right now where in hoping we get this preclinical evidence when we are more able to study cannabis, people can go back to these studies, these hypotheses, and study them further with more controlled methods to produce results.
0: So how does CBD potentially impact or lessen anxiety or anxiety disorders?
2: Yeah, so it all has to do with the endocannabinoid system. And so there's a doctor, Dr. Ethan Russo, who believes that many anxiety disorders and other disorders can be attributed to a clinical endocannabinoid deficiency. And so as I mentioned before, our bodies do produce our own endogenous cannabinoids. And it's believed that by supplementing with CBD and other cannabinoids, we are better able to replenish our own endocannabinoid systems, which then allow our bodies to reset, if you will, and kind of perform at their optimal peak performance. Interesting.
0: And what, has, what have the preclinical studies suggested? Uh, I know it's not across the board for everybody. It's very individualized. But what is the what do those studies suggest that
2: potential effects or benefits may be? I'm looking at a study. It's called cannabidiol cannabidiol as a potential treatment for anxiety disorders, and I can send you the study, but it was really, really interesting. They were looking at a single high-dose serving of CBD compared to a placebo group, and the results were that the folks who took the CBD had significant reductions in anxiety, and they believed that these results were related to modified blood flow in the limbic and paralymbic areas of the brain, and that's following the sing- one single high-dose serving of CBD.
0: And what would that blood flow, what does that suggest, that modified blood
2: flow? I believe what they're trying to say is that it's suggesting that the CB1 receptors on our brains are interacting with the CBD, the supplemental CBD, and producing the optimal results that the people are reporting.
1: So basically, we had two different groups. We had one group who were given CBD and another group who were given something that was not cbd but could have potentially been thought to be cbd aka the placebo right so the group both groups had some level of anxiety the group that took the cbd had significant improvements in their anxiety that i'm going to assume were self-reported is that correct
2: Yes, that is correct. Okay.
1: And then the mechanism that researchers think played such an important role in helping lower the anxiety was the fact that it was improving blood flow in the brain using the because CBD was attaching to the CB1 receptor in the brain. Correct.
2: Yes. Okay.
1: All right. I think I've got it. I don't know if listeners do. <laughs>
2: It honestly cannabis science becomes so complicated so quickly, and that's why it can just it becomes a rabbit hole.
0: Yeah, I have to be honest. Whenever I've looked in the into it um, a couple of times, I have just become overwhelmed. Yeah, and I, science doesn't usually do that for me. You know, the science here is so overwhelming, and so you just kind of have to just dive into it to really understand it.
2: Yes. It, it, cannabis itself, the plant is so... So I said we have those 130 different uh, cannabinoids. On top of that, there's over 500 active compounds within the plant itself and one really big... Um, population that we look at our cannabis terpenes, which are said to affect how our bodies react to the cannabis consumed. So then we're looking, okay, we are looking at cannabinoids and the cannabinoid profile, but then we're looking at the terpenes and the terpene profile. And eventually you can get so caught up in so many different molecules that it really, that's a good reason why it's very, very difficult to study cannabis is because all cannabis is not the same. Yeah.
1: So terpenes are in the cannabis plant as well.
2: Yes. Yep. So terpenes really are just essential oils. But what we do know is that terpenes in and of themselves have potential health benefits as well. So what they believe is that the cannabis plant in and of itself performs on what is called the entourage effect, and that all pieces within the cannabis plant work together synergistically to provide us with optimal results. And so that's where we then get back into strains and the differences in strains because you can manipulate the different concentrations of cannabinoids or different strains have different terpene profiles, which is how people eventually will settle on a strain that they find best for their health conditions. And this actually goes back to mental health because there are certain strains of cannabis which have been found to be not favorable for folks who have anxiety disorders. So high amounts of THC, not great for anxiety disorders. Low amounts of CBD, really great for anxiety disorders. But then we can also get into that terpene profile in some people who are able to be a little bit more exposed and know their plant and their strains really, really well. You'll find some medical consumers will say, you know, I won't touch a sativa dominant plant or I won't touch an indica dominant plant or I want a plant that has a lot of mercy, which is a very specific terpene. So eventually we can just get so caught up. But it's important to know that there is so much difference just between plant to plant.
1: So quick anecdote here. About a year ago, I was out in LA, and I wandered into one of the shops, you know, where you can buy different, you can, I mean, you can buy marijuana, you can buy CBD. Well, I'd never been in one before. And I was just curious. So of course, there are all of the different forms, right, that you can get CBD and THC in, and then layer on all of the different strains. I mean, I probably could have spent two full days in there just getting an education from the brilliant folks that happened to work there. But it really is, it really, for, for somebody who even loves science, it was so overwhelming. So, Where do you start, Emily, in terms of, like, do you have a resource that you would recommend that people can look into? Are there one or two strains that you say, like, hands down, absolutely, this is always the way to go? Can you guide us a little bit in
2: that regard? Definitely. So it is hard because so many people just want like a really super simple answer, right? It's kind of like the nutrition world where people are like, just give me a meal plan and tell me what diet to take. And it's hard to tell people that I, you can't really do that. And so it's really been a struggle for me as a practitioner to be able to work with clients. But really what what needs to happen is whatever a client does, they first need to go slow. They need to take their time. They need to be patient. Um and so I always start with CBD first. We always want to start with non-intoxicating forms of cannabis and we can ex- experiment with that and work with that and then move on to potentially introducing THC. But it's really important to take baby steps and to start where it's safe, where you can gauge how make things are making you feel and then, you know, if you have the option working with a provider if you're in the medical program, a medical cannabis doctor to help you baby step up because it really, it's a long process. And, you know, some people spend their whole lives looking for their perfect cannabis application method and perfect cannabis strain. And there's just so many things that need to be experimented with. And one thing you had touched on, which I haven't touched on yet, is the different ways to consume cannabis. There are four main ways to consume cannabis, and they all affect us differently. So if we're taking a sublingual tincture under the tongue, it's going to produce dramatically different results than if we're swallowing it. So we really need to start basic education on the different application methods picking it and pairing it with the person's lifestyle, because kind of just like diets, we have to find something that works for the individual client. And then just being willing to tweak and test over time to manipulate and get that desired outcome.
0: So I have had a lot of people come to me as a dietitian because CBD technically is a supplement. And a lot of times has connections to nutrition or, or People assume I I know how to guide them in selecting CBD. And I'm very quick to say, I don't, but I'm wanting to learn. And so if we were to decide we wanted to try some CBD, our first option is to decide what
2: form, would that be our first step? Perfect. Yes. So CBD can come in many different forms. The very basic form is called flower or the actual flower that comes off of a plant it's the raw material, it's the lettuce from your garden, if you will. And so that flower can be used in a variety of different ways. It can be inhaled or smoked or vaporized. Um, it can be used to make edibles. It can be used to make sublingual tinctures and it can also be used topically. So kind of just as a quick overview of our four main application methods. The first is inhalation, which continues to be the most popular among cannabis consumers. One reason it's so popular is because the onset time is so quickly. So it comes on within one to three minutes and you can feel the effects right away. And it's easier to titrate a dose to get to your maximum desired effect. Um, But unfortunately, it doesn't last as long either. It's about a one to three hour duration time. So there's inhalation and obviously comes with its set of drawbacks because it's smoking. The next is going to be like sublingual, which is most often what we see, like CBD oil tinctures that are held in the mouth or under the tongue. So that's going to be um, about a 15 to 30 minute onset time. And what happens is when that oil is held under the tongue, it's more easily absorbed right into the bloodstream. And that's why we can see our quicker effects. Um, This is actually my preferred method of dosing CBD. Um, It has a pretty good bioavailability, about 30%. And so this is going to last about two to four hours. It's a little different for everyone. This is drastically different than edibles or if you were to actually swallow your CBD oil tincture. So holding it under the tongue is good. Swallowing it is okay. But by the time it passes through our digestive system and it has to go through the liver and the hepatic first pass metabolism, we really only have about a 6% bioavailability for it. So, you know, I'm not going to say it's not right for everybody or anyone, but it's not right for everybody. And the onset time can take a while. It can take one to three hours to feel and the onset like duration time can be four to six hours. So it gives a lot of time um, to question what's happening and what's working there. And then our final application method, topicals, which is when you can put CBD directly on the skin. This is really great because we actually have CB2 receptors along our skin, and that's why a lot of people find a lot of relief for things like psoriasis or inflammation on the skin. But those cannabinoids that are put on the skin are never directly absorbed into the bloodstream, so we don't have any kind of intoxicating effects with that.
0: How would we know? What should we expect to feel? How would we know, or what would be signs that we have found a good strain of cbd oil for us or what should maybe what we sh, what should we not feel
2: so it's a great question i always like to take it back to you know everyone chooses to use cbd for different reasons what are you choosing to use it for Are you looking for reduced anxiety? Are you looking for better sleep? Because that's really the way to gauge it. CBD, it's not like THC where you consume it and you feel it right away. You know, part of the good thing about CBD is that you don't necessarily feel. And a lot of times people say CBD is not necessarily about what you feel, but about what you don't feel. So it's more like a reduction in anxiety, a reduction in inflammation. And those things are really hard to gauge, which is why I really like to encourage people to take CBD for a a really decent period of time, at least one to two weeks, and evaluate and say, you know, what am I looking for and am I seeing that result?
0: Dosage. I get asked about this as well, and I have, I've even thought about using it, uh, some applications for myself as well as my, one of my children who has. ADHD, but I have no clue where to start on dosing or dosage.
2: So the golden rule is always with any cannabis product, start low and go slow. So start with a really small amount, start with half a dropper or maybe one dropper at a time and evaluate and go from there. Especially with THC concerning products, you want to be as low as possible and Ideally, what we're looking for is our minimum effective dose. We want to see how much we can take to feel our desired effect, but we don't necessarily want to be taking more because obviously the products are expensive. We do build up a tolerance to it over time. So it's starting low and titrating your way up. So slowly over time, including a little bit more until you feel your it's your perfect dose. And that's really hard. It's subjective for everybody. You can't go out and say, you know, 10 milligrams of CBD is perfect for me. And for you, because it's so different. And when you get to THC, things that you know produce those really dramatic effects. If I took ten milligrams of THC and you took ten milligrams of THC, we could have two vastly different experiences just based on our own physiology and our own endocannabinoid systems.
1: Is it fair to say that, in a way, the way that, <clears throat> in a way, how we respond to CBD is similar to how we respond to alcohol. So I'm not saying that because I Hmm. may have a greater tolerance than Carolyn to red wine that I'll have a greater tolerance to CBD. What I'm saying more is it's that like just in the same way that a glass of wine might affect me more or less heavily than it might affect Carolyn, the fact that we are different in how we respond means that people... Respond differently to different doses of CBD, but now Carolyn and I might each, you know, have the tolerance to to drink two glasses of wine and feel mentally okay.
2: It's that's a great analogy because it is. You know, we can all relate to the differences and how alcohol makes us feel we also can relate to the differences and say, having a glass of wine versus having two shots, you know, there's vast differences there. I think that's a good, good way for people to be able to understand it.
1: So it sounds like sublingual, aka putting it underneath your tongue is your recommended amount, uh, or sorry, is your recommended method. We talked about
0: dosage, start low, go slow. Perfect. Another question, too, about that. If I were to go buy a CBD oil later today, am I going to find various strengths or? Oh, yeah. What kind of.
2: Yeah. You We'll just layer in another, you know, (laughs) layer of complications here is that there is no standard regulation for labeling. FDA has not stepped in and actually regarded it as a supplement. So anybody can really label their product in any way that they want, and it can come in various concentrations. So I've seen bottles as low as 100 milligrams for a 30 milliliter bottle, all the way up to 3000 milligrams for a 30 milliliter milliliter bottle. So that really does throw a lot of people for a loop too because it's it, it seems the same, it looks the same, it's the same volume, but the concentrations are different. So let's take that 300 milligram versus a 3,000 milligram. If you're taking a 300 milligram and you take a one milliliter dropper, you're probably going to get maybe 10 milligrams of THC. If you have the same amount, but it's a 3000 milligram co- concentration, you're going to get upwards of 300 milligrams of CBD in that one milliliter. And so that can be really difficult for consumers because anytime you go to a store, everything looks a little bit different.
0: So how do we pick out a good product if there's no regulation? Are there, I know you're, it's kind of a guessing game, but are there some general practices or general things to know when you're shopping
2: Definitely. So I actually came up with this four-step acronym, REAL method, to help people because, again, uh, an educated consumer is a good consumer. So I like to call it my REAL method. We're going to go through R-E-A-L. R stands for raw materials. So first of all, you want to know where was the hemp that produced that CBD? From. So the cannabis plant, in and of itself, is a bioaccumulator, and that means that it will absorb anything that it grows with in the ground. And that can be a good thing, but it can also be a bad thing in terms of heavy metals and other toxins. And so we have really good regulations here in the United States with our USDA hemp programs. Um, We're really concerned about hemp that comes from out of the United States because they don't have the same rules and regulations. So we want to know where exactly that hemp is coming from. And most of the time on good bottles, you'll see, you know, USA produced or produced in Colorado or from plants grown in Colorado. We like to see local and obviously like to support local. So once you know where your flower is coming from, that produces the plant. Then we have E, which is going to be extraction methods. So how are the companies getting that CBD off of the plant and into the bottle? And so there's many different extraction methods out there. The two most popular are ethanol extraction methods and supercritical CO2 extraction methods. I prefer supercritical CO2 extraction. It's just a cleaner extraction. It doesn't leave behind the residues of alcohol, but knowing that, you know, most Bottles or companies will say on the front if they're doing it the right way. They'll say a clean extraction method or supercritical CO2 extraction method. So that's important to look for. The next one is additive ingredients. And I don't know if it's just the dietitian in me, but I don't like to see added dyes or sugars or unnatural flavorings or anything that doesn't need to be in there. You're usually just going to see CBD and a carrier oil. So your hemp seed oil, MCT coconut oil, something like that. And then last up, the very most important is L for lab testing. So the only way to have any type of guarantee of what's in the bottle is actually in the bottle is through that third-party lab testing, which can also be called um, a certificate of analysis, which basically just means the company has sent that product to a third-party lab. The lab has produced results proving that there is X amount of CBD and nothing else, and that way the consumer can have that verification that that's what's in the bottle.
1: That is wonderful. So we're talking (laughs) about where the raw materials came from, how it was extracted, Mm -hmm. what additives may or may not be in there. You really want to focus on just CBD plus a carrier oil, and then you want to look for some type of third-party lab testing.
2: Yes. And so what I found and what is going to be probably the future of um, lab testing, my products right now uh, have a QR code on the back where the consumer can take their cell phone take the QR code, and it will actually pull up that specific lab test for that batch, and they have that test right there in their hands.
0: Wow, okay, so since the, the concentrations are going to vary, what, can you tell me what, as like an adult female in her early 40s, if I wanted to start it, what is a milligram, what is an amount, a range of amount, uh, what, is, what is an amount that's at that lower yeah. end?
2: So in in looking at milligrams per milliliter is, is a great way to get your dosage. And what you'll see on most bottles is it's labeled as milligrams per milliliter. And so a really safe place to start is anywhere between 10 to 20 milligrams per milliliter. It's a small amount. When we look at studies done on CBD, we have seen that studies of high daily serving sizes of up to 1500 milligrams a day are well tolerated. So it's not that you're necessarily going to hurt yourself if you take a very large dose. Again, I always like to tell people just start low because you don't necessarily need that high dose right away.
1: That's great advice to start low. And and again, because you said you do build up A tolerance or you can build up a tolerance over time. So going back to Carolyn using herself as an example or me as another (laughs) example, you know, uh, let me use me actually as an example (laughs) because I take uh, an antidepressant and an anti-anxiety medication, right? And so tell me, are there any, and I also actually take some supplements. So are there any prescriptions um, that would be that CBD is going to interact with that we should be talking about or we should be aware of um, or mindful of?
2: Definitely. So most of the time, CBD in and of itself is safe. It has a a safety profile. It doesn't alter heart rate, blood pressure, or body temperature. Um, But it does have some drug interactions. So CBD itself utilizes the cytochrome P450 pathway of the liver. And so any other medication that utilizes the cytochrome P450 pathway may be contraindicated. And that's why it's always important to talk to your doctor. I'm really for people being super open and honest with their doctors. Most of the time, doctors are like, it's fine, go ahead and take it. But with certain things such as like blood thinners, you really want to be honest with your doctor because what happens is the CBD makes other medications more bioavailable. So it's, this, it's very similar to the way grapefruit juice works in the body with other medications, it's an additive effect, it makes it more bioavailable. And so actually, this is why they're studying cannabis and CBD and its role in in reducing opioid dependence, because it can help reduce the amount that's actually needed to be taken. So you can always, you know, do your own research, does your medication utilize the cytochrome P450 pathway, or simply ask your doctor if it's safe. In most cases it is, but it's always worth asking.
1: So, because our podcast is really focused on mental health, are there some uh, prescriptions that folks might take for mental health, anxiety, depression, another, another mental illness? I know I'm looking at Carolyn because I um, know she doesn't like that word.
2: Well,
0: bipolar, ADHD, um, depression, or do you know of any specific medications?
2: I don't know of any specific medications used specifically for mental health. Like I said, the one thing I see the most concern about is actually with blood thinners. But again, all of those medications are super individualized and, and really kind of hopefully tailored with the doctor and the patient in mind. It's really important to have a discussion probably before including CBD to talk with your doctor and say, you know, how will this affect the medication that I'm currently taking? Would it give me the ability to take less of the medication I'm currently taking? would it have the potential to do something that's unwanted really each medication interacts in the body differently and I believe your doctor would be the best person to talk to about that
0: so where have you seen the greatest success or seen um, either well if it's in personal experience with clients that you work with or just in your Readings of preclinical studies, but where do you see the most promise with CBD when it comes to mental wellness, but also just health in
2: general? So I'm super excited. I really, going back to the entourage effect of how all different pieces of the cannabis plant work together, I think that's where we're going to see the most promise in the future. Um, CBD can be isolated as a single individual compound, but preclinical studies show that that is actually not the most effective way to take it. Um, So what we actually see is that CBD works synergistically with THC. And so incorporating very, very, very small amounts of THC with CBD is very promising for a lot of individuals. Um, And I just, I really get really encouraged by our current medical program. Our medical program does offer tons of CBD dominant options in in addition to the THC dominant options. And I think that people being able to have access to these different options. And and when you're looking at the medical program, you see that a lot of things come in ratios, ratios of CBD to THC. Um, And that really gives people a lot of leeway to play with in order to find out what works best for them and their specific needs.
0: Is there any, is there a ratio that you recommend or just kind of just being aware of that as you if you were going to I think just being
2: aware of it because starting out, like Mm -hmm. your basic CBD oil that you're going to buy anywhere at the supermarket, it's usually a 20 to 1 CBD to THC ratio. In the medical program, I see most people working up to a 1 to 1 CBD to THC ratio. But again, that's medical, that's supervised, and that's over time. But it's important for people to know that you can manipulate different ratios of cannabinoids to produce various different effects. CBD actually helps to many of the unwanted effects of THC that people experience. And many folks who I work with actually have chronic pain and, and THC is very important for helping to manage chronic pain. So we see CBD being able to actually help those folks who don't want those very intense high feelings be able to feel better as well.
0: I feel, I feel much more confident about going to the store later Perfect. and looking for something. But is there a better place... Should we be wary of the gas station ones compared to the, you know, maybe the ones at Whole Foods or the ones from a supplier online? And then are there certain terms to be careful not to get swayed by it? Like I use the example of the term natural with food. Natural is thrown all over food labels and insinuates to many people that it's healthier when it's really natural doesn't mean squat. Are there terms, I see like the terms medical grade and that kind of thing thrown around with CBD a
2: lot. Are there, is that a, are there terms to watch out for or? There's definitely a difference in the brands that you're going to see at a gas station (laughs) versus brands that you're going to see at a medical dispensary. So for example, a medical dispensary here in New York state has an exclusive line of just CBD products. I believe that those products just naturally have been vetted by the medical dispensary. Um, You don't have to have a medical card to be able to go purchase them there, but you also have that other layer of protection, that other layer of eyes already evaluating the brand for you and kind of filtering out. Whereas at a gas station, a gas station manager is not going to know anything about how to pick a quality product to put on the shelves. And so you're really just taking a really I guess a crapshoot when going to a gas station, you're putting all the pressure on yourself to do the research. Whereas more other institutions, more respected institutions kind of do that, that legwork for you and give you a little bit more peace of mind.
0: So we are in Alabama, which means we are probably light years away from having a medical dispensary for CBD so what would our best bet be where it's not legal yet?
2: I'm so sad you don't have a medical program. That's awful, first of all. <laughs> um, second of all, if you go back and use that real method and do those four things that I said, if you, what I always tell people is like, invest a little bit in the first time research, you know, take a little bit of time to go on a brand's website and see how does the website look? How does it make you feel? What are they talking about? Are they talking about their commitment to quality and excellence? Are they talking about where their product comes from? Are they proud of how they sourced it, how they produced it? Once you can find a brand that you feel comfortable with that produces those lab results, that brand generally carries many different products. And so finding a comfortable brand. Say you, you have your favorite brand of of yogurt when you go to the grocery store and you know that no matter what flavor, it's always going to be that same brand that you love. I think putting in the legwork to do just a little bit of research up front will absolutely pay off over time and make it much, much easier for you to be able to feel comfortable and confident trying new products. Emily, there are a lot of
1: strains out there that, that you have touched on the concept of strains. When it comes to mental wellness, are there any particular strains that you recommend we look out for or even that you recommend we consider avoiding?
2: Definitely. So this gets a little bit more complicated in terms of strains. The only time you're really going to have a choice in the strain that you're picking is when you're working with raw flour. So Very, very rarely do I see the strain listed on the CBD oil product. In most cases, CBD oil that's produced by large companies is a variety of strains all put together, then creating biomass, which then creates the extract that then goes into the final product. So pre-prepared products make it a little different, difficult to actually pick out the strain. Whereas if you're working with raw flour and preparing your own extracts or infusions at home, you have more of control over the strain. And so what we find is people will use the words indica and sativa most often. Now these are actual like anatomical differences in the plant. The sativa plant grows much different than the indica plant and most people find that they produce different effects and so the sativa plant is said to be a little bit more of an upper and now the sativa plant itself can have many different strains underneath it but the sativa variety again more of an upper Um, but can be very, very triggering for folks with anxiety. A lot of people say that sativas can absolutely trigger panic attacks, anxiety attacks that they don't normally experience with indica dominant strains. And so it can be really difficult to find the perfect strain for you because unfortunately, we're just not there yet in what is offered. I don't know in Alabama I'm assuming, I don't know if you can go anywhere and just buy CBD flower and ask someone about the strains of it. Whereas if you were in LA, you could very easily walk into a recreational or medical dispensary and say, I'm looking for a sativa dominant, CBD dominant hybrid, and they could give you exactly all of the options that they have.
1: Oh yes, that was the experience I had when I went into the dispensary in LA and it just I mean as a total incredible. science nerd, I mean I was I, I actually to be totally honest, I didn't want anything for myself. I was in there, you know, shopping for a friend or two and just wanted to learn and it's it's fascinating. So going back to indica, you said sativa can be an upper.
2: So is indica yes. a Downer? I say, yes. So you'll hear people use the slang like indica couch. Like indica puts you out. It's, <laughs> it's great for sleep, it's great for. Um, people will call it couch lock, where you're awake, but you're really just calm. You're just sitting there watching TV, kind of zoning out. Um, And so a lot of people will say sativas and indicas just have such opposite effects. Um, On top of that, uh, sativa and indicas, the plant, say they bred and had a baby, then it would be a hybrid. And what we see is that most strains are actually hybrids on the marketplace today. And that is... It can be an Indica dominant hybrid. It could be a Sativa dominant hybrid. But again, having access to product that is actually labeled as such and correctly labeled as such, even for me in New York, I I don't see that, um, very rarely see that unless you're in a dispensary, which makes it hard for the average consumer to experiment and know what they're getting and being able to make decisions based on what they've liked and what they don't like.
1: If if we're talking about indica potentially being a a downer, right? I love that phrase, indica couch. Um that's perfect. I will probably never forget that. But <laughs> does that then mean that somebody who has depression should be avoiding indica?
2: So it's so unique to each and every person. I can tell you right now we could have 10 individuals all diagnosed with depression in here, and each one of them who say they're a medical patients, they know what they're looking for. Will tell you they prefer something different. On top of the strains, the indica versus sativa, we can also have varying cannabinoid ratios, and we can also have various terpene profiles. So it continues to get so so complicated that it makes it hard to say. Well, you know, indicas aren't good for people with depression. That's not actually true. It's what type of indica. And what strain exactly does each person react to differently?
1: So I feel like I jumped into the weeds probably a little too quickly. Maybe we should back up and go like the 30,000-foot view. In general, has there been much on CBD for depression? Is CBD something that can be beneficial or is it problematic or do we know?
2: Yeah, so we don't see anything in terms of problematic. And what we do see is that, I'm just trying to pull up here, I have a research study on self-reported reasons that people actually choose to use CBD. Um, Depression is actually the fourth reason Um, just underneath chronic pain, joint pain, and anxiety that people are choosing to use CBD and reporting that it works for. So we don't have nearly as much clinical evidence, but we do have a lot of anecdotal evidence of folks saying that using CBD does help their depression, but whether or not that's in conjunction with their current medical treatments or not, we don't know.
1: In a future episode, we plan to talk about adaptogens. And when you Mm, look up the definition of adaptogen... It says that it's a natural substance considered to help the body adapt to stress and to exert a normalizing effect upon bodily processes. I mean, we're all dietitians, right? So, as dietitians, I feel like the concept of adaptogen or at least that word adaptogen, not the concept of it. But the word adaptogen is like a is newer. Would you say that CBD is an adaptogen?
2: Absolutely. I would say that cannabis is the mother adaptogen of them all, because when we go back to the endocannabinoid system, the actual purpose of the endocannabinoid system within the body is to maintain homeostasis within the body. So when we compare that with that definition, we see that, okay, it really is an adaptogen helping our bodies to adapt and reset and recalibrate to our perfect place of homeostasis. Well, this is a great launchpad then for our future episode on adaptogens.
0: Thank you, Emily. (laughs) Yes. Emily, if I understand correctly, you have your own line of products. What led you, how did you, what led you to do that? And tell me a little bit about your line in particular.
2: Yeah. So I don't currently practice in private practice anymore, but three years ago when I did, I was working with folks with autoimmune and inflammatory conditions and we were seeing that CBD could really help them. But I was really, really nervous and hesitant to, to recommend a product that I didn't know from the inside out. So I started doing research into products and how they're developed and how you get them out. And I ended up meeting a fabulous couple um, from California who this is what they specialize in. But they gave me the opportunity to actually come to Colorado and see how the raw material is then processed in a lab and turned into the actual product that I now sell. And it was just the experience of knowing exactly what is in my product. I know every single thing about how it's produced where it's produced, why it's produced, and when it's produced. It just gave me the peace of mind to feel comfortable to recommend it to clients who trust me to give them safe recommendations.
0: Absolutely. And is this are these products for sale on your website?
2: They are, yep. So thankfully, I'm allowed to sell them in almost all 50 states. I think there's four where I cannot sell CBD products to. Um, but it just, it really gives my readers uh, just a safe place to start with CBD and it just is a no-brainer for me to say you know I know this is safe you can go out you can test other things there's other great products out there I know but this one I know in my heart is the best that I can give you
1: that must be such a good feeling to be able to you know feel very confident in what you're recommending and and advising
2: yeah just it's it's that piece it's like if you were to make your own supplement line if you didn't know exactly what was going into it or where those products came from or how it was produced you wouldn't feel nearly as comfortable talking about it and recommending it to clients Absolutely
0: Have you seen applications for it and again I know we're talking preclinical studies but have you seen any applications for it with other mental health issues um like bipolar like ADHD Any of those that kind of fall in the
2: neurological realm? Yeah, I think the the most promising right now, what I actually see the most studies coming out about is actually PTSD and the role that cannabis can play. Not necessarily CBD specific, but cannabis in general. Um, There's actually a lot of effort being put into studying PTSD, especially for our veterans. So I think that's really promising to keep up on the research coming up. Because it's very promising.
0: Is this? You know, I I mentioned earlier that I have a son with ADHD, and you know, you go sometimes you go through periods where you just can't find the right medication, and it's just the side effects um, can be really bad. And you know, it was CBD was just suggested to me, so I considered it, but I quickly realized I don't know enough to even give myself some CBD, much less my child. and, And we found a medication that worked well, but I have thought about it for him, but. Is this something contraindicated for kids or or where do kids and even like pets fall within the CBD
2: world and safety? So safety wise, what we know is obviously no one is studying CBD in kids or pregnancy (laughs) or anything like that. Um, Safety wise, we know that CBD is really a safe product that doesn't have side effects like medications do. So of course, I'm always telling people, you know, you want to be talking with your doctor, But just as all moms have different feelings on giving their child a prescription medication, all moms are going to have different feelings about using CBD with their child. I personally, with my level of knowledge, do feel comfortable giving my child CBD. He actually um, is quite the CBD connoisseur at this point. Um, But that's really, I feel like, such a personal decision for for a mom to make. But I personally feel comfortable using it with my child. I find that the side effect profile is much less. And it's more of like a first-line intervention for me before looking to a prescription medication or other alternative.
0: And what about for pets? I've heard it recently used... For pets with anxiety or like when travel? or yes.
2: Yeah, so there's actually quite a bit of evidence of people using CBD for their pets. Um, it's really important to note that THC is not very safe for pets. So you really want to make sure that the product that you're using is safe. But you should absolutely always talk to your veterinarian too. You might find that your veterinarian actually sells specific CBD products for pets, but because they do see such great reduction in anxiety for the dogs, veterinarians are very, very excited about this new alternative option for people. And many people, you know, choose not to ask their doctor about it and try it and see great results. But we do know just like humans, dogs have an endocannabinoid system that responds like ours does. So, so cool. I'm sitting
0: here imagining my cats on some THC, though. (laughs) It's
2: not. Right. I believe it's the I believe that dogs have more concentrated CB1 receptors. So if they have THC, it affects them much more differently, much more um, uncomfortably than humans. So I always like to just preface that as long as you know you have a safe product that's just CBD um, with trace amounts of THC, veterinarians generally agree that it's safe to give to pets.
0: And do you mind us asking you real quick about taking it during pregnancy? I thought that was so fascinating.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So obviously it's going to be based on your personal level of comfort and it's always going to be based on anecdotal evidence. We don't have any studies of using CBD in pregnancy. Um, Obviously we just don't study on pregnant women just like a lot of medications that we have. Again, based on the side effect profile of CBD, um, I generally tend to use it as more of a first line intervention over prescription medications. So I myself am currently pregnant. I do use CBD. I'm very thankful for CBD. It helps in a lot of different ways. And I think it's given me the opportunity to maybe avoid some other medications for nausea and things like that, that um, might have other side effect profiles.
1: Have you found that you use CBD for particular conditions or side effects of pregnancy that are unenjoyable.
2: Definitely. Like I find myself using CBD for more specific reasons. So I definitely find it very helpful for nausea. Um, I like to take it just as kind of like an everyday supplement. It really helps with just like general aches and pains that are associated with pregnancy as well. Um, But during my pregnancy, I'm also absolutely more obsessed with cannabis topicals that are, you know, placed on the skin. So nothing's absorbed into the bloodstream. But as you know, pregnancy changes your body in many different ways, including dry patches and weird patches on your skin and in stretch marks and things like that. And I found that cannabis topicals have been really a a wonderful option to try out.
1: That is such helpful information, especially because it sounds like there's still, even if somebody is particularly conservative about CBD during pregnancy, that, you know, there still are ways that you can use it compared to using a prescription, Um, like you were saying, topically. Uh, I mean that, and because it's not absorbed into the blood. So it's, it's different.
2: Yeah, and that's honestly always a great place for people, anybody who's feeling conservative about CBD, is topicals really are the safest place to start because they're not actually going into the bloodstream. They're just providing a localized effect where you place it, not really a systemic effect throughout the whole body.
0: Awesome. This has been so fascinating. I really appreciate you talking with us.
2: Oh, of course. Honestly, it's like, like I said, it's a rabbit hole. We could do this for another three hours.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for the Happy Eating Podcast. I'm Briarly Horton. And I'm Carolyn Williams. If you liked this week's episode, then don't forget to rate and leave us a review on iTunes and be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll never miss a new episode. We can't wait to have you back at our table next week for a brand new episode. Bye. Bye.